For years in the garage of the home that I lived in Belfast where I grew up, there was a pile of four alloy wheels. Uh, they were lovely, sporty wheels, and uh, every time I looked at them, I had uh, a wave of thankfulness that I was alive, and also I had a, a pang of disappointment, the fact that they were there. They belonged to my brother's silver 1275 GT Mini, always polished, beautiful, Go faster stripes, personalized number plate. It was my brother's pride and joy. But when he went away to work overseas, I had just become 17, just passed my test, and so he entrusted me with the keys to his pride and joy. And within two weeks, all there was was a pile of four alloy wheels in the garage. I had been out enjoying the country roads. It had been raining. I'd only passed my test two weeks before. Lost control of the car. And in miles and miles and miles of hedgerow, I managed to find a substantial brick pillar. The amazing thing was, because the insurance company were amazed and everyone who saw the car was amazed because the car was like sort of concertinaed, um, people were amazed that I was alive. And they were absolutely amazed the fact that I just walked away from the car. My, my parents, as good parents, you imagine, would, and they did. They said, don't worry, son, you can replace a car, but you can't replace a son. My brother wasn't quite so keen <laughs> on that saying, uh, but uh, he, he, he did. He was gracious to me. When we read through uh, Luke chapter 16, that uh, Matthew read for us today, it's a... Uh, it's a really sort of interesting and challenging chapter. It's bookended by these two parables, both of which uh, are quite difficult to understand. There's the first one about the shrewd manager, and then there's the second one about the rich man Lazarus, rich man and Lazarus, uh, who's a poor man, and in between some teaching about handling money and worldly wealth. And so uh, the whole chapter looks at first glance as if it's about money. It's about poverty and wealth. It's about uh, managing money and it's about various teachings of Jesus about money. But actually, the bigger theme to it is about stewardship. It's about what we do with what God has placed into our hands. And so uh, these verses, as you can imagine, sort of resonated with me and my mind went to the tires, the wheels of the silver GT Mini, particularly the verse, and if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? But the verses before that say, who can be trusted with, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, if you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've been trustworthy, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Every time the Jewish listeners heard Jesus or any teacher, in fact, speaking about stewarding someone else's property, their automatic thought would have been, and rightly so, would have been that in, the, in a story like this, God is the, is the property owner and the people of Israel are the stewards. Because right through Scripture, there is this understanding 
that, that God, everything belongs to God. Everyone belongs to God. And he, he delegates responsibility. He gives opportunity for stewardship. He, he blesses, as it says in Genesis 1.28, Jesus, our God saying to Adam and Eve, God blessed them, first of all, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the ground. It was really interesting that it starts off, God blessed them. And immediately, hard on the heels of that blessing, God spells out their responsibility. And that's the reality of the way God works and the reality of the story of Scripture, that there is blessing, and with the blessing comes responsibility. And so we you know, had that wonderful hymn, count your blessings, count them one by one. It will amaze you what the, what the Lord has done. When we count our blessings, we're also counting our responsibilities. In any area of your life that you know that you're blessed, you have responsibility from God. I was reminded yesterday, uh, listening to, in Belfast, uh, an Archbishop, Greg Venables, who's the Archbishop of um, the southern corner of South America. And um, he was reminding us again about the fact that each of us will stand before God to give an account of ourselves. Not as Christians, not as those who are standing to give account of ourselves in order that we may enter into the presence of God. The very fact that we will stand before God means that we are there by the grace of Jesus Christ. If we're alive, as it were, in his presence, entering into his glory, enjoying fellowship with him. But also there's that accounting, that question for everyone, which is the question of, of salvation. And for us as Christians, that's not the one that... We, we know the answer to that question. We, our lives point to Jesus Christ and living a life of faith in him. But all of us still as stewards, the Bible tells us again and again, Jesus tells us again and again, will be asked, well, what did you do with the things that I gave you? And, and that still concerns us. I don't mean in a worrying way, but I mean it concerns us in that it's an important issue for our lives. And so I think quite often we think and we fall into the pattern of the world which uses verbs like attaining, achieving, having, possessing, and owning. The Bible tells us as those who follow Jesus Christ that those really aren't verbs that we use to do with the physical things of this world. The verbs that we would use would be ones like giving, enjoying, sharing, celebrating, surrendering, submitting. They are the type of words that we think of in terms of living the Christian life. I think that as it comes after this passage into the teaching about money, and also that little bit of teaching about marriage. We can wonder, well, what actually is Jesus saying in terms of this parable of the shrewd manager? And I imagine that those who were listening to him initially would have really wondered what he was actually getting at.
the central message of Jesus' teaching was the fact that as it is in heaven, so it should be on earth. And so as the Israelites heard, as the Jews heard what Jesus was saying, they would have realized that in this story, Jesus again is reiterating the fact that Israel have not lived up to being good stewards. They've been dishonest stewards. And Jesus' message was constantly the fact, like that of the prophets, what, what do we do in the context of realizing that we're not good stewards of all the things that God has given us? And he's speaking in the context of there being Pharisees and religious leaders in the audience. And the Pharisees, although we give them a lot of bad press, they genuinely wanted to steer Israel in the right direction. They believed wholeheartedly that to be a holy people serving a holy God and possessing the holy land, the only way to do that was by strict religious observance. What Jesus is saying in the parable of the shrewd manager seems to be exactly the opposite. Jesus is saying, when it comes to all these extra laws the Pharisees are piling up, what we should do is just throw caution to the wind. Let's not get caught up in, in trying to obey all the extra strict injunctions that the Pharisees have laid down. Let's just throw caution to the wind. And in fact, amazingly, he goes on to say, in fact, when it comes to this whole thing about possessing the land and possessions, we should actually just use those even to ingratiate ourselves with other people and other nations so that when the time comes for us, the Israel, to be dismissed as the steward, we will have somewhere to go. It's really shocking teaching. But it only makes sense in the context of the fact that Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom. It only makes sense if the one standing among them is the Son of God, God in the flesh, who has come among his people as the true Israel, the true steward, the one who is actually not wasting anything of what the Father has given him. It only makes sense if Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophets and the law have said. The Pharisees tend to criticize Jesus for a number of things. First of all was, are you obeying the law? What Jesus was effectively saying was, not one stroke of a pen can be removed from the law. But the law is not capable to bring about the new creation that is being brought about in the here and now. The law of the Old Testament is pointing truly towards the new thing that God is doing and is doing right now, right then in Jesus Christ. And the second thing they criticized him about was spending time with people who were poor, who were women, who were sinners, who were outcasts, marginalized people. But the challenge Jesus was giving was that by the way the Pharisees were doing things, they were excluding these people from the kingdom of God. That if you were illiterate or a woman or sick or a sinner or marginalized or non-Jewish, 
you were excluded from the kingdom of God. And so Jesus spends his time among all people. And that helps us to understand what he means in this parable of the shrewd manager. See, at face value, when we read it, you come away from the parable and say, you know, it's better to be poor because poor people go to heaven. And in fact, if people are poor, it's better to help them to stay poor because poor people go to heaven. If the parable is just about money, that's what it's saying. But it's not just about money. It's about stewardship. It's about the kingdom of God that Jesus Christ is ushering and has ushered in. It's about the fact that Jesus is saying, just as it is in heaven, in the world to come, so it should be and is becoming now in this world. And so the common perception, not just among the Jewish people, but often all, often spoken about in story and belief throughout much of the world, was that in this world where there's poverty and riches, that will be reversed in the world to come. And so what Jesus is saying, he is taking a well-known story because these stories about the reversal of fortune happening were commonplace throughout, throughout the world. And he's taking it and he's modifying it in order to speak truth to those who are listening to him. And so the Pharisees who had this sense of it's important to possess the land and the, the scribes and the, the religious leaders who themselves were wealthy, Jesus is laying down a challenge and it is this. If we believe that fortunes will be reversed and the rich will become poor, the poor will become rich, then actually what God is calling us to do as good stewards of now is to make poor people rich now. It's that prayer, bring it on, Lord. Jesus is saying, in this context of the story which was so often told where someone would be able to go back from the afterlife to speak to someone or some people who were alive in the here and now. And often in those stories, that wish was granted. In Jesus' version of the story, the answer is no. There will be only one person who comes back from the grave and his name is Jesus Christ. But he says, if you don't believe the law and the prophets, then neither will you believe God, even if he sends someone back from the dead. So the challenge of this first parable for us of the, of the shrewd manager is this. It's all about the kingdom of God that is arriving in Jesus Christ and Jesus saying, the poor will be made rich. Let's make the poor rich now by being good stewards of all the things that God has given us. And to give an example of this and the importance of the law and the fact that he's not overturning the law, he throws in a single example of what it means to live as good stewards to those to whom he's speaking. 
It seems strange in the midst of this whole passage that Jesus speaks just for a moment about marriage and divorce. But the reason why he speaks about it is because he wants his hearers to understand that he has come not to abolish the law, he has come to fulfill the law. And at that time, divorce had become a convenience. A bit like today, there's a move to try and introduce no-fault divorce. The idea is to make it more and more of a convenience. And Jesus was saying at that time, that's not stewarding marriage well. Easy divorce is not stewarding marriage well. And so he highlights the importance of stewarding the wonderful gift from God that is marriage between a man and a woman. Imagine a world, I wrote down some imagines in terms of you and I, of people being good stewards of all the things that God has given us. Because the Bible is telling us that we own nothing, that everything we have is it's given to someone before us. We have it for a window of opportunity, and God will steward it to someone else. He'll entrust it to someone else after we've gone. Imagine how different the world would be if your primary concern and my primary concern was to use everything that God has given us for the alleviation of poverty locally and globally. Imagine if every blessing that we've been given of resources and relationships and energy and intelligence and spiritual gifts, imagine if everything that we've been given by God we utilized for the alleviation of spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental poverty, both locally and globally. Imagine how different this war-torn world would be if all human beings lived in such a way, true to Scripture, where we see land not as our possession, but we see it as something that God has given to us, entrusted to us, for a period of time to be handed on to the next generation, to be used for the alleviation of poverty. Imagine the difference it would be in terms of how we look after our planet if we saw ourselves as God's property managers of God's good creation with a very important remit to hand on God's good creation to the next generation. Imagine how our relationships would look if whether it's to do with our spouse or our children or our nieces and nephews, our neighbors, our work colleagues, our parents, whatever relationship. Imagine if we saw every relationship as a temporary assignment, a window of opportunity where we have an opportunity to bless those in whom we, with whom we have relationships. For instance, imagine with our children if we recognize the fact that we have a window of opportunity. Imagine with our spouse, our husband and wife, that relationship has a start point and it will have an end point. Imagine with our grandchildren, it has a start point, it will have an end point. Imagine if we saw all of our relationships the way God sees them, as temporary windows of opportunity. An opportunity that comes and an opportunity that goes. 
I think if we were to live the way Scripture teaches us as stewards and not seeing ourselves in any way as owners, it would transform the way we live. It would transform society. It would transform the world. I think so often we can, we can assume that the things that God has entrusted to us will just go on forever. We think that our life may, in this world, just go on forever. The opportunities that we have will just go on forever. And we fail to see that they are a temporary assignment. And one in which, thankfully, God is always with us. He's always there for us to invite him into the situation. And also, at the times when we come and we say, Lord, I've been wasteful with what you've given me. I've missed an opportunity. That God is a God like the father and the prodigal son. Prodigal means wasteful. He runs out to his wasteful son. He embraces him and he brings him in. And he puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back and sandals on his feet. And he's giving him a second chance. God is the God who gives second chances. I don't know for you in your life if some aspect of your life feels like four wheels piled up in a garage. And you say, well, God gave me something like a beautiful, shiny sports car, and all I have to show for it is four wheels. Well, don't worry. Because we can come to God with the fragments of the thing that he's given us and say, God, you know, I have made a mess. And God can do amazing things with hands that just come and say, God, I have made a mess. He's the God of forgiveness, the God of mercy, the God of restoration. So much restoration can happen in this life, not all. But the whole idea, the whole reality of the kingdom of God is that Jesus Christ has come to make everything right, to make everything well. So this morning... If in your whole life or aspects of your life, you just want to bring, as it were, the four wheels of that car and say, Lord, I recognize now, years on, the wonderful opportunity you gave me, the wonderful gift that you gave me, and I realize that I, to some extent, have squandered that. Then come and bring the wheels. Come and bring the wheels to God and say, God, I come to say thank you for all you gave me, to say sorry for being wasteful, and to say, Lord, please make the very best out of this that I hand to you today. God is a God who gives fresh opportunity, fresh forgiveness, fresh mercy, also fresh wisdom and fresh strength. The reason for the gift of the Holy Spirit as we live in this precious time now between the first and second coming of Jesus is that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ to help us to be good stewards of all that God has given to us. And I think so often as well, I know I do this, I think so often we can try to hold ourselves accountable for things that God hasn't actually given to us. Sometimes we can find the devil wanting to make us guilty 
about things that we have no power or control over. Sometimes we find ourselves thinking, I should, I, I should have done more. Or what if I could have done? And sometimes the reality is, that was not our call. That's why it's so important to recognize what actually is it that God has placed in our hands? Because God will not hold us accountable for the things that he has not placed in our hands. And so I think we should, we should recognize not to beat ourselves up about the things that God hasn't asked us to do. But take really seriously and enjoy the blessings God has given us. But know in all those blessings, whether energy or intelligence or opportunities or resources or relationships or gifts or spiritual gifts or whatever they happen to be, enjoy those blessings and help other people to enjoy them too. I think if we do that, then we will walk with a lightness of step. Knowing the fact that God is with us, beside us. Knowing that he's given us this wonderful gift of life. This wonderful gift of relationships, the gift of health or energy, gift of resources, whatever they happen to be. And he's given them us for a period of time. A finite period of time. And we have the privilege and the joy and the opportunity to be having given the responsibility to bless and to bless and to bless and to bless. And that is a life of celebration and joy. That is freedom. And God has said, Jesus has said, I'll be with you all the way until the job is done. I will give you the wisdom. I will give you the strength. I will give you the resources. Just pray and ask me. Just look to me every moment. If you want to know how to maximize, to give to the glory of God everything that's been placed in your hands, then we just say, Lord, I'm sorry for the mess that I've made in the past of what you've given me. Make the most out of everything that you place in my hands. And the amazing thing is God says, Jesus says, that when we do that, he will just bless us more. He will give us more blessing and more responsibility. Because if we're honest and trustworthy in little things, then he'll give us bigger things. And he'll give us bigger things. And he'll give us bigger things. Not about saying my bank account will get bigger, but actually about saying more responsibility, more opportunity to do good. The more we steward the good things God gives us, the more God places in our hands. And here in this world, it will always remain a temporary assignment. We will never actually own what comes through our hands. Everything that sits in our hands, nothing is ours. And we should live in the joy and the lightness of that. But Scripture teaches that Jesus tells us that this world of tenancy, this world of stewardship, this world of being entrusted things from God is a world of preparation for a world that is a one of permanence, that is one of actually belonging, that is a place where we will have a place to call our own. 
That's what Jesus was saying in terms of how he was speaking to the Jewish hearers around him. He was saying, if you're trustworthy with other people's property, God will give you property of your own. He's saying to us similarly, if we are good stewards of the good things that God has entrusted to us in this world that has a temporary nature, then through Jesus Christ in the world to come, we will actually have a place to call our own. We will have a place of belonging and a place of permanence. So let's live with that lightness of step. Let's come to God with the four piled up wheels and say, Lord, what can you do? Give me wisdom, give me strength, and may everything you've placed in my hands be for the blessing of other people particularly those who are less well-off, particularly those who are poor. Lord, just as your desire is in heaven to make the poor rich, Lord, make the poor wealthy rich in the riches of heaven and the riches of earth now and use what you have placed in my hands to do it. And may all the glory go to Jesus Christ.